Uni Taste Days proudly presents the Uni Guide, supporting you with all things university. Bonjour, listeners, and a warm welcome back to the Uni Guide podcast. In this episode, we're going to be sharing with you the journey that our Emma Berwick from our student panel has taken in studying a year abroad as part of a business degree. Before we meet Emma and find out what this journey was like, I of course need to welcome back my trusty co-host John, John Sheik from Unitaster Days. Bonjour John. Bonjour Tim, bonjour Emma. Yeah, really well, thank you. I can't do that last bit, I'm afraid, in, in French. My French doesn't stretch to that. But it does stretch to, je veux très bien, merci. And I've been practicing that. I'm not sure how this is going to work, audio on audio, but with the help of Google Translate, I did that line then. Je vais très bien, merci. Not bad. Oh, mon Dieu, John. Oh, dear, oh, dear. This episode certainly has a continental feel to it, but where's the coffee and the croissants that I ordered? Or what about a baguette? Or no time for a crepe? No, John, come on. There's no time, not even for a crepe. You should have had one before. Au pain au chocolat? I'm afraid not, John. With a black coffee and a Kit Kat leftover, you can make do with that. Well, I suppose that's going to have to do. Let's move on. Fantastic. Okay, great. Let's meet Emma. So introducing Emma Berwick, a familiar voice on the Uniguide podcast. Emma, you've given us so many uh, pearls of wisdom, and this episode is just about you and your journey. So we're delighted to have you with us in the studio today. Hi, I'm Emma. As you know from being on the Uniguide student panel, every single podcast, we start with the same question. So that's quite simply, what do you do and why do you do it? Um, Yeah, so I'm actually in my final year at University of of Birmingham. I study business and French. I guess why I do it is quite profound and quite deep. I guess a couple of years ago when I was applying for university, I enjoyed French. I studied French, A-level, GCSE, all that stuff. And I thought, you know, I've kept this going for a while. I need to to have a language and it's also good in the working world and stuff and what I'd heard. I'd also was looking, didn't really want to do history, didn't really want to do English. So business was the one that seemed the best in terms of career and also something that I thought I was good at. So I thought I kind of brought those two things together. And here I am now in my final year. Good on you, Emma, and doing fantastic things. So um, keep it up. And thank you again for all the work you do with the Uniguide podcast and making it as successful as it is. So Emma, firstly, we just want to find out a little bit more about what you're doing now. So with that in mind, can you just tell us what you're studying and what you've studied and where you are kind of now in terms of your university journey? Yeah, so I started my um, university degree in the height of the pandemic. My A-levels were cancelled, I think. The world was, I don't even want to go back and talk about it. It was really bad. Um, I started my degree during the pandemic. I think first year wasn't wasn't not normal at all. Second year slightly picked up. And over the my second year, I studied some really interesting modules. I actually did a podcast module. I thought that's quite relevant to mention that now. Um, and then I did a few modules in like HR and things like that. I did my year abroad last year, actually. Uh, which was one of the best and most transformative moments of my university journey. And this year, I kind of playing to my strengths a lot more than I used to. So I'm doing modules in like leadership, professional development and HR. So with a view to apply for grad jobs, I mean, at least try to at the moment. <laughs> Tell you what, you're going to stand out. All the stuff that you've been getting involved in, you know, not just this podcast. I, I follow you on LinkedIn, so I see loads of stuff you're doing. So you must be in a really strong place. So um, good luck with them. Emma, if you don't mind, if we just rewind a little bit to, you know, you entering university, studying at university, why did you choose to study business with French? Okay, that's a really good question. I 
I was quite indecisive when I was in secondary school. I'd always, I never really had a career, I guess, a career path in mind. I didn't really know. I hadn't really done any work experience. So I think my understanding of the world of work was really, I mean, limited is not the word, very limited. I had a cousin who went to Ireland to do business in French and now works with PwC within their accounting kind of thing. It was something I'd thought of before, but thought I didn't really want to copy someone. <laughs> I did in the end, actually. But I thought that studying business was quite was quite um, broad in the sense that you could sort of look at doing accounting, look at doing like HR things or economic economics things, which I think is really valuable in whatever career I wanted to do. And then the French side, I'd always seen people who had a second language were more employable and were able to, I don't know, I think I, think I saw they had high earning power or something like that. They got more money. So I think when I was a point, I was applying for university, that kind of struck a chord and made me think, okay, combining the two together gives me a sort of edge. Because a lot of people in my course, there's like 500, just study business or business marketing or business communications. But if I've got French, it means that I hopefully stand out a bit more as well. There's so much about your own like decision making, because so many people at kind of your age then would nowhere near spend anywhere near as much time as, as you obviously did. So it's so fantastic you did and uh, good on you for that. So we've recently had a podcast, Emma, that looks at actually studying abroad. So literally studying in a different country for the whole three years. Now you've you've studied you spent some time studying abroad, and we're going to explore that as part of this podcast, where you you spent a year studying outside the UK in France. Can you just tell us a little bit more about like the your decision there and why you looked at a study abroad program? Why France? Um, tell us a bit more about that. So a study abroad program for languages is actually a compulsory part, so there wasn't really any option. That was just the way it was working, really. I kind of wanted to study in France. Well, I looked at studying in France, but my options were quite limited because for me personally, it was really important to make sure I had a degree that was really intensive in French. So I actually really developed those like linguistic capabilities. I think I wanted to go somewhere. So I made the decision when I was in, in sixth form that I thought that being kind of closer to home was quite important because sometimes it's quite a step moving away from home. And I'd found that over time, I sometimes needed to come home a bit more. So I thought adopting the same approach was the right thing when going abroad, even though France is significantly further away from Birmingham as, as it is to London. One thing that I did that helped was I went to a couple of the exchange events with students who were studying there who returned on their year abroad. And I also looked on like Facebook on like all the different groups and like all the different universities and pages and LinkedIn and all those things. So I tried to, when I was looking, I was looking at the course content and whether it was right for me. So I was trying to find a university that was also in a good location. I have Reynards, which is like a thing where you get really cold a lot of the time. So me being somewhere that was cold and windy and I wanted somewhere warmer than the UK because I'm not really good with cold temperatures as well. So that was quite an important factor. It's interesting, actually. I didn't realise it makes perfect sense about a, a, a study, you know, a languages course that needs to have that experience of studying outside of the UK. Is there much out there, you know, students that are, are perhaps considering doing the same thing, maybe listening to this podcast because they're interested in studying abroad, is there much support out there to support research about potentially different countries and, and almost what, you know, what opportunities are out there outside the UK? Yeah, so one of my friends in my house is actually a global ambassador for the university, so he gets paid to do, I love it, he gets paid to do all these things talking about his exchange programme or exchange experience or whatever and go to all the fairs and just he's great he just talks all the time and I love how he gets paid for it so there are things like that um, and the university does have an exchange team an incoming and outgoing exchange team 
so there is the university support but I personally think that sometimes um it's a lot more beneficial for you to just go to the exchange society in your second year and then you get to know more of the culture and more of the kind of ways of the country so that when you get to the country you're more adept and able to like get used to it better which now brings us nicely on to actually your experience in terms of actually studying abroad so you studied abroad in Montpellier which sounds Emma like the poshest place I think that I could possibly ever think of and based on your answers earlier on um, Montpellier is obviously warmer than it is in the UK or at least certainly not colder than it is in the UK but can you just tell us a little bit more about Montpellier itself like what's it like how did you get on with the language situation would you recommend it whether to study or to go on holiday there Uh, just tell us a bit more about your experience of being in Montpellier that's a lot to unpack there, I'll be honest. I could be here for hours telling you all about Montpellier and all the things. Um, yeah, I think that Montpellier itself was a really lovely area to go in. There was a lot of students, like societies there. The, the university did have student societies, but the society aspects, because it was a private university, I'm not sure if it's the same across all universities, wasn't quite so strong as, as I'd noticed in the UK. What about the language, Emma? Getting to grips with French day in, day out. I think that... The language aspect was really, really challenging. I went going on my year abroad thinking, I've done a level French, I've done French for this long, I've, I've, I've done all these things, I've done LinkedIn learning in French, I've done a whole entire, I've read books in French, Harry Potter in French, I've done that, I've done this, I've done that. And I think I went thinking that I was really capable in French, but when I got to my lecture, I was doing economics in French. They were talking about the trademarks, they were talking about imperfect competition, and my Google could translate, and my thing was literally full by the end of the, of the, se- the session. And I think in real time, it's a lot harder because in class, you can pause a video and you can pause something and you can kind of cheat a little bit and trick yourself into thinking that you're much better than you are. So it took me a lot of getting used to. But one thing that I actually found was really, really rewarding was that I applied for a program with my university, which was called Le Parcours Act for Change. So I ended up doing, um, it was all in French, which was incredible, but I ended up doing a whole entire program by my host university. There were like 20, 30 of us actually all on like environmental and social issues, looking at how we actually bring about change in our community, like the extent of like activism, I guess, the global climate crisis and what that looks like and how that's like shaping the global kind of issues going on in society. And to be honest, I went to those sessions and I was just so in awe of what was going on. A lot of the time I couldn't contribute, but I think I really put myself out there and there were times that I wasn't able to really fully grasp what they were saying because it was really complicated even in English but I think the fact that I did that meant that I met so many more people and people that when I was trying to find my words and I was trying to I was really trying they could see it but when I was at times I was a bit off or I just didn't get the right pronunciation they were really helpful and really kind of wanted to correct me so I felt that that really helped me to improve and I guess become more confident. It's incredible. Really. I, I, I know obviously about study abroad and, and studying abroad, whether that's for a year or for a long period of time, but, but actually hearing your answer then makes me appreciate how hard it must be. Because going back to when I was at university, you have lectures that, you know, even in your home language and the, that are very difficult. So the thought of actually having that in a different language in a different country, uh, I suppose in a way it's, it's sink or swim, isn't it? And, and you obviously swam and, and therefore have benefited loads from it. And, and they do say, don't they, that people that study or live in a country that's not their own for a period of time is is a great way to pick up the language. I I look back at someone that used to work at a pub that I used to drink in a long time ago, uh, came over from the UK, from France, uh, didn't speak a word of English, and three years later was completely fluent in English when he he left again. So you can see how, you know, and how it it does happen. 
That brings us to the end of part one. Join us after this short interlude as we go into the application process with Emma on her year studying abroad in France. So Emma, let's talk applications. So if you can rewind back you know, a few years to when you were looking, exploring university, we touched on a little bit of that in part one. Do you recall what the, the application process for you consisted of? Yeah, I had to work out what my choices were. Then I had to whistle them down to five and I had to list information on like why I wanted to go there, submit some information on like what the program meant to me. I guess a typical motivation questions. How did you find the process then? Was it okay? Um, the process wasn't too bad, actually. I actually almost missed a deadline. And I got an email while I was on the train to Cambridge. Well, I was on the bus to Cambridge, actually leading a trip there. And it was like, well, I haven't, like, uh, this is, hasn't been completed. And it's like, deadline is tonight. So I got that on the tra- I got that on the bus and I was thinking, oh, my word, what am I going to do? Um, so I, that kind of, I guess, um, skewed my, my opinion a bit. But um, it was actually fine getting it back because we just got told, like, what our five choices were and then which one we got. I got mine fairly quickly, but students who were doing um, like languages got theirs a bit like later than mine. So one day we were, when we were in a language class, they were asking, they were like waiting for ages to find out which one they got. But the process wasn't like too bad. It was just a case of waiting to hear back from them and then seeing what choice I got. My choices were okay because I was going for quite like specific things and I was doing business, but um, it was quite quick as well. Like I don't think it wasn't that much, but then I just had to accept my place with the host university and then just like confirm and send a few documents like proving that I could I guess not like proving like who I was and stuff which is normal my like the way I applied and the way I got put on my course and the modules I picked were quite specific because I went on the I joined the year two of the business management course in France whereas students who do like joint degrees maybe French and history or something or like English and history they have like a bit of more of a confusing process with regard to which modules they're taking so there's often a bit more like challenging working out which modules to take so sometimes I know a lot of people are asking is this accredited by this com- by this like board or something but for me it was just a case of like picking that and then just doing that so it wasn't too bad. Thank you Emma we know you applied for UCAS you know you're going to study abroad in terms of the university getting back to you at what stage do those communications start do you remember? Yeah I had like an email in June the, of like which modules I was taking and then the from the exchange team on the host university just saying like these are the modules that you're doing so that was it really thanks Emma and you mentioned earlier off there you, you had an Irish passport didn't you instead of a British one because I had an Irish passport it meant it was a lot quicker in terms of getting visas because people you had like to get a visa or to get like additional paperwork there was a lot more process with the universities to fill in like an application so I think I don't really know about that part, but it made a lot made it take a lot more time for everyone else who didn't have that. Cool, thank you. Really, really useful context. So um, we've also recently done a, a scholarship and bursaries podcast featuring John Herring, and we touched on free money when it comes to university. It'd just be really useful with that podcast in mind. And, and Tim and I know a lot more about scholarships and bursaries than we did before that podcast. Did you did you benefit from any scholarships and bursaries when you were looking at universities? No, I did apply for the. Butax one it's like a scholarship where where students who are part of the program exchange and other students coming into the other university can get like 500 pounds and you had to send in like a video or like a blog or something on their thing I didn't get it unfortunately um which was a bit disappointing but there is um an enhanced like a higher student loan that's available for students going on their year abroad so 
I did get a bit more than I did studying um, at, at home, I guess, in Birmingham. Yeah, got you. So there's various schemes that listeners might be aware of, and one of which is the Turing scheme. Do you mind just telling us a little bit more about what you know about that? Yeah, so the Turing scheme is um, money that students get and don't have to pay back. It's based on the cost of living for the country that you're going to. So it's organised in a couple of different bands. I think France was like band A, so one of the high cost of living. And the process was quite simple to apply for it. You just had to submit information on like the course you're studying proof from the host university and I think some other paperwork, which isn't too bad. And then you just got got the money. So quite a simple process. So one concern that students might have, but not just students actually, it's parents and also teachers that are supporting students might have is in relation to things like visas when you, you know, you're looking at staying abroad for a long period of time. Now you've touched on this a little bit um, earlier on, but do you mind just telling us a little bit more about your journey in terms of visas? And I know that yours might be slightly different based on your um, your passport status, but just tell us a bit more about what Yeah, you're... I feel a bit, a bit bad answering this question considering I did not have to go through the almighty visa process. But one tip I would say is if you are eligible for like EU nationality or EU passport, get it really soon, like get it now, because then it means you haven't got to go through that process. I had friends who had to go all the way to the embassy to get something stamped and there was issues and it's a lot of money a lot of time and some people because if they're going to two different countries it's a lot more complicated with the visa process um it's not something that I'm specifically able to to talk about because I've not been through it myself but I just say allow enough time for it just because it takes ages it takes a lot of time and it's not simple Emma do you mind sharing some reflections on the cost of living um, from your experience in France and and how that varied, was it more expensive than the UK? Anything you can share with our audience there, just be great to get a bit of an insight into to those things. Yeah, so France has, I think, a higher cost of living than the UK. So it was a bit was a bit bit more difficult, um, I guess, adapting to that. Um I ended up doing a like a small kind of part-time job for a startup upskill me when I was on my year abroad I was just helping with like their program management so like when they had like webinars with like the people from the firms when they were like doing mentoring programs I just helped let them in so I got I got paid for doing that which was really helpful um so I had something and some experience but um I do know that the cost of living in other countries is significantly higher so I would I would I would say that one thing that helps is maybe working in the at the university before you go on your year abroad or getting like a part-time job I don't know how how much time people have or what other like what other commitments people have but just because I think if you've got a bit extra on a year abroad if you want to go traveling etc you've kind of got got that cushion if that makes sense that brings us to the end of part two join us after this short break for part three where Emma will be sharing the all-important hints tips and guidance on studying a year abroad So in part three, Emma, as you'll know from being on the student panel, it's all about advice and guidance. So supporting students, parents, teachers that support students in terms of next steps. So let's start with research, as in like researching courses. So fast, you know, if we rewind back to 16, 17-year-old Emma when it comes to researching courses, researching universities, do you have any tips for our listeners there? Um. Yeah, I actually was really bad at just picking every single option that was possible. But something that someone said to me was just because it's an option doesn't mean it's the right option. And I think that that rings true for virtually 
any situation in life. I would just think like always play to your strengths. Something that someone told me was always play to your strengths and always look at like the long-term plan if something can help you more in the long term. Because I used to be tempted to pick something that was harder because it would look good. And then I realized if I'm not really playing to my strengths, it's not really going to allow me to demonstrate the knowledge I do have in that area. But I think it's important to do to do thorough research. And I've got a lot better asking for help and knowing where to find help. Because I mean, the podcast like this is a great way to, <laughs> a plug, is a great way to, to get advice on different things. But I would really use like Instagram or even if you know people ahead of you, just ask them about their experience because usually people can connect with someone else or they've got some valuable bits of information to share. And one thing that's really impressed me about you, and I, I follow you on LinkedIn, so I, I see that you get involved in absolutely loads, Emma, which is brilliant, is is actually how much you get involved in and put yourself out there and it's only going to help when, when it comes to your career. But do you mind just giving listeners some tips in terms of, of how you go about that and, and how they can get involved in stuff when they're actually at university? It really depends. I think I've got involved. It's kind of a vicious cycle or a virtuous cycle. It depends which way you want to look at it. But I started getting involved in becoming working for the university. And actually, because I was in that kind of network, if you want to say it, I kind of got access to things by accident. So when I was at an event, I met someone who was recruiting for PwC there. So I had a contact from that event. I also ended up going to the Women of the Year Awards two years ago because they wanted students to go and they were like, well, you already, we already know you can go. But I think like it really also helps to, to get to know students who are in the year above you because often they, they, they've been through the same models that you're doing or they can just share some tips and advice. I also would, this is going to sound a bit bad, but I'd also really get on LinkedIn. But I think that some of the best opportunities are on there just because often you don't see a lot through your careers website or anything like that. But I think it's also important to like check your emails and stuff because not everyone does that. So you're going to miss out on things unless you're there. But also, I think by the same token, something that I've found a lot, I'm getting better at saying no to a lot of things because I think it's really easy when you get to university, particularly if you've overcome a lot of barriers to get to university, to think I need to make this the best experience ever. I need to put myself out there all the time. But I think actually having like a laser cut focus of what you want to get out from things means that you actually do things that really resonate with you rather than just putting your energy everywhere and everywhere and I guess getting burnt out. Fantastic advice. Thank you so much, Emma. And the final one from me, and then I'm going to pass over to Tim, is just think about what's next. So so we touched on right at the start about graduate schemes and things, but but I'd be really interested to know, you know what's next for, for Emma. I'll be honest with you. Um, there's an awful lot to unpick in this question. Um, I've actually been really fortunate and something that I talk about a lot is to have some brilliant mentors who have really helped me to kind of, I guess, forge more of a path for myself. I actually did an internship over energy, which was, I think, the best part of my summer. I don't know why, but it was such a brilliant experience. I got so much exposure um, to product management and like the green energy space. So I realized that something within product management, which is kind of like a thing of tech, it's not coding tech, but it's bringing teams together to release a product kind of thing or something within a product was something that I think I was quite good at, or at least I hoped I was anyway. Um, And I really enjoyed. So I'm looking at product graduate schemes at the moment. So I just applied for one at MasterCard. So I'm hoping, I really liked it. So I'm hoping that I'll get them them through. And then I also have applied for a part a few part-time masters or at least I'm trying to at the moment because I really want to continue learning and I think it's always good to have something else going on beyond working 
Um, so I'm, I'm, I looked at the London Inter Interdisciplinary Masters and they don't really ask essays, which kind of tick, tick many boxes on my, on my list. So I'm hoping that when they open, um, I'll maybe see if I can go there. But uh, yeah, I'm just trying to also make the most of my final year because I feel like it, it, it's going to go so quick and I'm already in week, week six almost. So it's, um, it's going to go fast and I'll be graduating hopefully in June. So I need to make the most of it as well. Keep it up, Emma. You're doing absolutely fantastic things. The world is your oyster. Indeed it is. With that said, Emma, I would just like to ask quite a basic question. How has studying a year abroad maybe changed you? Has it changed you? What has it given you? Has it developed you as a person? Yeah. The one thing that I've never really talked about a lot is how my year abroad really transformed me. I guess not just from a personal perspective and not just from like a language perspective, but it really gave me a lot more resilience when I was on my year abroad because actually a few things went wrong on my year abroad. So I moved accommodation in midway through Christmas and it was really hard to find somewhere else to live and it was really challenging. And then in combination with that, I also unfortunately failed two exams, which were both taught in French. I think that those failing those two exams at the time, it was really, really tricky because I thought I was a lot better than I was. And I was really, really trying. So I felt like I was a complete failure. And I felt that I really should be doing better. This was my chance to prove myself. And I felt really bad because it, it was just it was just not not a good time. And it was really kind of bad for my mental health as well. But now I look back on it, I think it gave me a lot more courage and a lot more, I guess, resilience because I kind of realized that things like that happen a lot in real life. And like when you get to the workplace and whatever in life. So it kind of gave me more strength to keep going when things get hard. And I think that that's kind of the mentality and I guess hopefully the mindset that I'm bringing to my final year because this year is quite busy. So, um, yeah, it's definitely given me a lot more courage to keep going. Wow, Emma, thank you so much for sharing that and being vulnerable. There's some real lessons there for, for lots of people, whatever age they are, going through things, reflecting on them and finding out how you can get better. So thank you so much for sharing. You touched on kind of mental health and you touched on challenges that you rose to and there's difficulties with language, obviously, in a different country. But anything in terms of mental health you can share guidance and tips on? And Obviously, you're away from home and staying in touch with family, friends is important and support networks. Anything you can shed any light on here? I think a year abroad is really hard because you're away from family and away from friends and everything that you know or everything that's familiar to you. So I think it makes it even more important to stay in touch with family and friends and really have a really strong um, network and people to lean on. One thing that was easier for me was staying in touch with family and friends because there was only a one hour difference between France and the UK. So I didn't have to like stay up at midnight and call anyone. It was quite simple. I really made the time to, to chat with friends and family, even if it was just a quick message saying it has everything going and just keeping the lines of communications open, or at least I tried to anyway. Um, but I'd say... I guess in terms of keeping sane and maintaining good mental health when on or year abroad, I think it can be really useful to develop a hobby or something on or year abroad, maybe um, like try to do some extracurricular activities with the university, try to get involved with the exchange society, go to a few clubs. Like there's a couple like Eventbrite you can do. So at least you're meeting people. Because one thing that I found hard when I started was I didn't really know many people in France. But once I started going to things and once I started going to events and going to social opportunities, I became a lot more confident. So over time, I met people. And I think that you met even more people, then you have more confidence. So I think it does take a, li 
bit of time to get out of your comfort zone, but I think it really does does help in the end, even though it quite, it's quite tricky. Well then, Emma, thank you so much for being part of this podcast. It's been so great chatting to you. With it, we always finish with the same question, and that is, in terms of if you gave advice to your younger self, knowing what you do now, what would that advice be? Um, my advice isn't anything exciting or anything world-changing. I just think it's to really put yourself out there. A lot of the time, I've been confronted by really bad imposter syndrome, and I felt like in certain places, I mean, even now, I feel like I shouldn't be here. But I think imposter syndrome really take really consumed me a lot of the time and often led me to feel like I shouldn't be in certain places. But I think that particularly in situations, you have to make the most of those opportunities. You really want to put yourself out there. And whenever you get an opportunity to really make the most of it, I think some of the best things I've done, I didn't expect. I mean, I'm going to the Brightside Youth Board event tomorrow and I'm speaking in front of all the all the people there. And that's something I didn't expect when I started a year and a half ago. So it just goes to show that I think if you put yourself out there, take initiative, people notice and people are more likely to support you and really cheer you on. Yeah, good on you. Certainly do. Keep it up. Um, thanks so much for listening to um, the podcast on the year abroad. Whilst I would say that there were challenges on my year abroad, I'm so glad and I'm so happy that I stuck with my year abroad. And I think it's definitely been a great experience and one that I'm so glad I've done. So if you are looking to do a year abroad, definitely go for it if you can. It's such a worthwhile opportunity. You've been listening to The Uni Guide, supporting you with all things university. While you're here, why not give us a rating? If you have any comments, suggestions, or want to ask us any questions at all, please contact us using info at unitasterdays.com. Stay tuned, like and share, and as always, take care.